You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I just wanted to let you know, once again, we're hiring for a design director here at Glitch. You know, as a company, we're really growing every single day, and we're looking for a design director to join our team that can not only help build a team of talented designers, but also help to deliver a unified experience to our audience of consumers, curators, and creatives. So if that's you, if that sounds like something that's right up your alley, then check out the show notes for a link to the job listing or head over to glitch.com forward slash careers and apply today. Now for this week's interview, we're talking to one of my favorite guests who you might remember from episodes 100 and 200 of Revision Path, the brilliant creative director, designer, and fellow Route 100 winner, Sarah Honey Young. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hello, my name is Sarah Honey Young. I am an award-winning creative director and visual artist. I am also an event curator, and I consider my work to be based in documenting and exalting Black womanhood and queer communities. First of all, I just have to say, it is so good to talk with you again. First of all, I think one thing that's happened since... I think since we both last talked is that we're both like now fellow Route 100 winners. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Huge honor. That was wonderful. Yeah. I love putting that in my bio and resume. Congratulations to you. Well-deserved. Thank you. Thank you. I wish I would have had time to do the, um, do the event. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to go up there. That event is fantastic, by the way. Yeah, it's a, it's a great event. It really is. Open bar. Everybody's drunk. Look, it was like that when I did the when I did the AIGA awards gala. It was an open bar like that. Woo! It was a it was a fun night, definitely by everyone that was there. Okay. <laughs> so I know I know that a lot has happened since then. So I don't know where should we start. Well, when we last spoke to me, <laughs> I was all the way inside of my amazing, wonderful, dope affirming project American Woman, which is a portrait and documentary series exploring Black women's relationship with America. Since we talked, I actually mounted an entire exhibition here in Pittsburgh Mm. at a venue called Manchester Craftsman's Guild. That was wonderful just to finally see all of those portraits actually printed out and mounted in that way. I actually was supposed to screen the full-length documentary there, but it is still not done. I have not finished that documentary yet. It has become like, not the bane of my existence, because that's not fair to talk about it that way, but it has become like the thing that is the little ringing in my ear constantly Mm. is trying to get that documentary done. Now, what I am still intending to do, in fact, the last time we talked, I said New Orleans was my last city, and then my ass went to Atlanta, and I saw you in Atlanta when I was shooting American Woman in Atlanta. That was due to funding actually provided by my cousin Damon Young and his wife Alicia. They contributed to my funding, and I was able to add another city 
But I went back to New York for that project and had like a New York 2.0. And I also needed to always go back to Chicago because whereas I shot probably 10 to 12 women in every single city I went to for American Woman, I only shot five women in Chicago. Like I also have to this date no black transgender women in American Woman and I cannot ever call this project done until I have trans representation in it. Mm -hmm. And so there's actually two women in Chicago who I wanted to very specifically uh, photograph and interview around the experience of black transgender women in America, because that, that is something that really, really needs to be represented in this project and really needs to be represented everywhere. I know everybody loves Pose now and that's fantastic as far as media representation, but they're still like, we can't call it done. We can't call that done, especially when so many black trans women are still suffering violence and even losing their lives. So American woman is still ongoing. It is now year three and it's actually on hiatus while I'm working on other things, but American woman has reached some milestones. It was very affirming to actually get that mounted as an exhibition finally. And it was a fantastic turnout. We had a big panel and artist talk and party around the exhibition. It actually was not a solo exhibition. There were two other artists named Martha Rial and Kenneth Neely who are a part of that exhibition as well. And it was, it was a beautiful experience, but I still need to get this documentary done. And I still actually would love to do a solo show of American Woman somewhere. But finding a venue that actually has honestly enough room to, to present it in the way that I want, because the portraits are really big. Mm-hmm. They're like six feet by four feet. They're all huge. There's like 60 of them. And they'll be about 70 when I'm done circling around to Chicago. And then there's somewhere where I need to actually be able to screen the documentary. So I think, honestly, American Woman, I I consider it in some ways my magnum opus, but I don't want to call it that because I'm still pretty young. And I don't want to say like, oh, this is the best thing I'll ever do. It is one of the most important things I'll ever do, but it's it's still ongoing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that is the status of American Woman right now. I remember, I think this was maybe like early 2018 or so, CNN had mentioned some news about they were coming out with a series that was honestly very similar to yours, mm-hmm. also titled American Woman. You remember that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I do. Because (laughs) I was really upset about it. Actually, I heard about that on New Year's Day of 2018. It was like text, Twitter notifications, Facebook, people were calling me like, did you know? Well, really, they were like, did you know CNN stole your project? To which I was like, whoa, whoa, what, what, what? Let me go online and see what the hell is going on. It was very similar, except, of course, it was populated by mainly white women. I think the only black women in it were Ava DuVernay and Issa Rae. Mm. And the focus of it was extremely similar to my project. It's not the exact same. Brooke Baldwin, I think her name is, is the CNN newscaster who worked on that. She actually named Tarana Burke and the Me Too movement one of the inspirations for her doing her series, which was interesting because Tarana Burke, the founder of the Me Too movement, is in my American Woman series. So mainly, I didn't have an issue with someone else, you know, exploring and talking to American Woman around 
what is your experience as a woman in America today? Like that's an ongoing conversation that I didn't start, that she didn't start, that, that is just an ongoing thing. But what was just frustrating about it was that it was named the exact thing as, as my project. And, and it's funny because people, Maurice, were like, well, you're not the first either. I'm like, actually, I am. <laughs> actually, I am the first person to ever have a series called American Woman that explores women's relationship with America. It just so happens that my project centers Black women completely. So you may think that I'm doing like the so-called Black version of something that already happened, but actually I did not. Mm-hmm. I, I researched whether I had an original idea and an original title for months and months and months before I actually went for it because I wanted to make sure I wasn't stepping on anybody else's toes. I wanted to make sure I wouldn't have a, have like a trademark or copyright issue. The only things that were actually literally called American woman were series of like workout videos. I want to say some kind of VHS thing that had, they had long since abandoned their copyright. And there is a magazine called American women magazine. Hmm. So after my project, a a good year and a half after my project came CNN's American Woman. They were supposed to do it as a series. They abandoned that idea, I guess, because they had actually an extreme amount of outcry. I never got an official response from them, Mm. but there was a lot of people who were um, inundating them in my defense, which I appreciate. I will always appreciate the way that people show up to protect uh, me and other Black women around Black women's proprietary work. So that was dope. And then there was a TV show, I think it was on FX, called American Woman uh, that came out after my project. And now there's a movie yeah. starring Sienna Miller called American Woman. But I actually have had the copyright for that for a couple of years now. I'm actually working on renewing it right now, which is just, it's always a cost. It's always a cost financially and it's a time thing because you have to prove, and this is for anybody who wants to like copyright something um, and protect their work, you have to monetize it, which is kind of interesting to me. Like I have a lot of thoughts on that uh, living in like a capitalistic society, how you can't actually own your own idea and protect it from other people unless you're purposely monetizing it and making money off of it. So that's mm-hmm. that's kind of interesting with a project like American Woman because although I do have a coffee table book that I'd like to put out at some point in the, in the next year or two, it wasn't ever to make money. Like I don't want to make money off of the women who have trusted me and shared their stories with me, although they don't mind. They're like, girl, get your money. Like we believe in you. We, we put our image and our likenesses and in your hands because we trust you. So if you need to sell something to make this happen and to continue like protecting us and exalting us, then so be it. But that's never what American woman was for. So that's the process I'm going through ongoing with American woman. American woman is probably going to be ongoing all the way through 2020 to be perfectly honest with you. But I do have a whole lot of other things that I'm working on as well, because me being an artist and me being just, um, a scatterbrain with ADHD. I always have an idea and I'm always working on multiple things. So I want to talk, I guess, you know, a little bit about that funding. It's interesting you mentioned that about how unless you're making money from your idea, that's like the only way that you can protect it. And also, even in order to protect it, you've got to spend money on it. Like you have to buy a copy, you know, get a copyright or a trademark or what have you. 
I know when we last spoke, we were sort of talking about funding two projects that you had, American Woman being one of them. The other one was uh, 1839 Mag. As you kind of look at American Woman and I guess any other projects that you're working on now, which we'll talk about, what is your relationship now with funding? So that's a great question. I am still applying for grants, although not in the gung-ho fashion I was doing a couple years ago, just because I've found a way to execute things without being reliant on funding. Now, there are always going to be some big, huge ideas I have that require some kind of monetary compensation from someone who's not me because I don't have, you know, I don't I don't have $15,000 to fund anything <laughs> except funding food into my children's mouths and, and, and keeping a roof over our head. So I still believe in pursuing funding and grants, but there's a time issue that is always a factor when it comes to grants. Some of them turn over pretty quickly. Like they'll give you a response within a month and you'll have that check on the second month. And that's fantastic. But the vast majority of grants and funding opportunities, you really don't find out for months and months at a time, maybe six months later, you'll get like a yes and you'll get like the check ideally. But me being, I never sit on ideas for that long. And since we last talked, I actually have my own artist studio now where I can do a whole lot of stuff that I didn't have the ability to do before, before I had like a literal dedicated space where I can take photos. Now I paint in there. That's a meeting place for me. I work from there on uh, my creative direction stuff for my company, Supreme Clientele. I work on DJ sets in there because I wandered my way into DJing. Mm. And that came from the work that I started doing around event curation as well. And it all, it seems like a lot, like, when we were talking earlier and you asked me my title and I had to really think about it because I have a lot and it's hard to break it off into one word unless I just use creative, but then people are, all, there's a follow-up question like, what do you mean you're a creative? Okay. What the hell does that mean? It requires more explanation. So I'm still, I'm always going to be a creative director first. That's how my mind works. And that kind of encompasses everything that I do do creatively, as well as on the marketing and communications and PR side, branding, all the things I do for my clients and my own projects. I'm always going to call myself an artist as well, because I like to remind people like, not that there's not design work that is artistic, but being someone who has always been an artist, but not really been a part of an art scene until moving to Pittsburgh five years ago. That's an important point to make people as well. Also, photographer that is paying a lot of bills right now, which is glorious because before I received funding for American Woman, I would have never thought I would be an actual working professional photographer at this point. And then, yeah, the event curation and DJing thing, it's a lot. It's all creative, though. I'm not <laughs> doing any mathematics or biochemistry. <laughs> yeah. I'm an artist, a right brain person, like, period. And really, if anything, like, involves creativity or movement, visuals, music, rhythm, I'm probably going to be into it. Let's talk more about that event series, because this is something that kind of organically came about through your design work. Is that right? Yeah, I think. Kinda. Not really. <laughs> it's helped by me being a creative. But yeah, I mean, even just your, I, you know, I like to wander off a question, boo. But when you ask me about like, how, what is my relationship with funding? So the event curation thing did come from needing money mm -hmm. and needing money by doing something that I've always been good at 
I've always been a party girl. And I don't mean like wild sniffing coke off of the strippers, booty cheeks type <laughs> party girl, although don't knock it to your shadow, I guess. But <laughs> I mean, in terms of, I love throwing events. I love throwing parties. I love gathering people. I'm an extrovert. I know there's like an ongoing joke in with my friends in New York and probably in other cities too, where they're like, don't invite me to any more group dinners. Like people don't like group dinners. They don't like figuring out the check. Like I get it, but I love stuff like that. I love bringing people together. I had a lot of great parties in in New York. I was through myself birthday parties <laughs> in New York. I threw a really epic ass Halloween party in New York that some people still talk about. But when I moved to Pittsburgh, of course, that was starting all over. Um, I do have cousins here. My mom lives here, but I had never actually lived here myself. And I wanted to find people who were like me. There's a lot of event series here that are cool. Some of them are are a little bougie for my taste. (laughs) I'm not really into like parties where you have to dress a certain way. Um, I kind of like everybody to be able to express themselves. I'm not really into extremely heterosexual male dominated spaces either. And I think that comes from me just being intersectional as hell. I'm I'm a black woman. I'm also a queer black woman. So I I don't like to be in hyper, hyper, hyper heterosexual masculine spaces. And that's a lot of the party scene period, but specific to my interest, the black party scene here in Pittsburgh and many other cities is kind of just dominated by that. So I had a friend who I talked about on the last podcast. His name is Aaron Clark. He's the cultural engineer of Ace Hotel Pittsburgh. I threw a birthday party for myself. And once I knew enough people, took a couple of years being here, like, okay, I think I know enough people now to have me a little party. It was actually a lobby party at Ace Hotel Pittsburgh. And it, a lot of people came, <laughs> like a lot of people, like half the people at my own birthday thing. I didn't know them from a can of paint, but they were black people. They were ready to party. They were like, this is an interesting venue. I would have never thought to throw a party in a hotel lobby. Mm. Me being from New York, I was like, New Yorkers do that. And that's all the time. Like it's Hotel New York. There's always parties in there. I think Q-Tip used to DJ in the lobby of Ace Hotel New York. So that wasn't something that was strange to me. But that one went very well. And then I did another event at Ace Hotel. It was a Halloween party. That one was extremely popping too. Then I did a party around the release of the Black Panther movie in February of last year. Can you believe Black Panther just came out last year? I feel like that movie came out like... Wow. Yeah, that was last year. It was, yeah, it was in February of 2018. So I did a huge party called the Afro Futures Now um, at Ace Hotel Pittsburgh. That one was actually in the gym. Tricked that whole gym out to look like Wakanda. I hadn't even seen the movie because the party was the day after the movie came out. I was like studying the trailer. <laughs> this is the art. This is always the creative director of me. I was like pausing the trailer, looking at the art. It was in the background so I could make it seem like that. I hit the nail on the head like like pretty firmly too. So that was an um, that was the event. I think there was probably about 350, 400 people in there. Gorgeous, 
just are the black diaspora is so freaking gorgeous. Like blackness is so vast mm-hmm. and everybody looks so fantastic. Cause you know, everybody was putting on the dashikis yeah. and everything <laughs> from like, everybody was, was mad African, mad continent around the black Panther movie. But there were just so many different displays of, of how we tie ourselves to the motherland and how we tie ourselves to being black American as well in our own heritage and culture here. And I saw what I did with that party. And really every party is just like, cause I'm like, I would like to go to an event like this. So if other people come, that's cool, but I'll have a good ass time if it's just me and my homies. And it was like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can actually do this because what happened was people told me exuberantly, like, you need to keep doing stuff because your parties feel different than other parties I've been to here. Please keep doing this. I love that this is a black woman run promotion company to which I was like, oh, I'm a promotion company. Okay, cool. Whatever. <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's call it that. Let's just say that was intentional. And then some people started calling me event curator when they started writing about me. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that sounds legit. Let's do that. And mainly that women felt comfortable in my space that queer people felt comfortable in my space and that the people I do attract who may not identify as queer or LGBTQ plus, they would come and not care about that either. And that was important to me. Like you adapt to the people who can't go everywhere to party the way you can. Mm -hmm. Yes. You're going to see men in high heels at my party in a beat face. And there you're going to see the dudes that look like Lil Wayne in the corner who don't care. And that is a very interesting thing I found about Pittsburgh. I know that this exists in New York. I know it does, but it was something that I needed to find in Pittsburgh as well. Like, where is the crowd where we can all just be ourselves and nobody needs to do double takes or have anything smart to say about about the queer boy in the corner who looks fabulous and should be able to express himself and dance and flirt just the same way as anybody else can. So that is the center of why I got into throwing parties. My my party company is called Darkness is Spreading. I don't know if I mentioned that or not, which is the functions on two tiers. The first it's an it's an inside joke if you've ever seen Chappelle show mm-hmm. and seen the Rick James skit. Like darkness, everybody. Darkness is spreading, which is hilarious to me. (laughs) (laughs) Like to this day, like so funny to me. But it also like in that skit, I don't know if you remember, you know, Rick James being like a lighter skinned person. He was talking about the Murphy brothers because they were dark skinned. Yeah. And he called them darkness to like mess with them on some colorism stuff. But I was like, I think that is empowering. And heck, like, I'm not that brown myself, but I'm like, that is like a metaphor I want to use to talk about what I'm trying to do with my series of events. I'm trying to spread Black culture throughout a city that is not known for it at all, but which there is a lot of, there's a lot of Black people in Pittsburgh, but there's a lot of Black people in Pittsburgh who have been looking for a different kind of event. I love a good theme. Um, I had an Alice in Wonderland themed Halloween party in October of 2018 that was really successful too. There's a black light party. Everybody glowed. Looked like Belly, actually. <laughs> like three minutes of Belly by Hype Williams. And then I did an event actually on July 4th called Diaspora Too Dope, which was a celebration of the Black diaspora here in America and beyond. And that I 
had that event on July 4th was very intentional because mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, F this America's birthday crap, because I'm going to try not to cuss in this podcast as well. Like F that, I would rather center the people who actually built this country and have, you know, have all the trappings of July 4th that we as Black people love. Well, we as, as people, period, because everybody loves a good cook- cookout. Everybody loves a barbecue. Everybody loves a block party, but that is something that I have always specifically tied to our culture, mm-hmm. black people, just gathering and celebration and ritual. So it was fantastic, Maurice. Like it was, it was beautiful. Like the best July 4th I've had, maybe even since I was a kid when my parents used to throw big block parties. There's a neighborhood here called the Hill District. I want to say, besides maybe a neighborhood called Homewood, and maybe Wilkinsburg, maybe Wilkinsburg is hanging on, but the Hill District is the most historic Black neighborhood in Pittsburgh. It's the most historic Black neighborhood in Western PA, like past like Philly, which is five hours away. Mm-hmm. The Hill District as a neighborhood, it's very, very similar to Harlem in that there's a lot of rich history in that neighborhood. And it is still, it's one of the only historically black neighborhoods in this city to hold on to itself. It it has not been heavily gentrified at all yet. It definitely needs some work. There's a lot of associations around keeping that neighborhood in the ownership of black people, which is important to me. So to have a block party in that neighborhood that centered us, but also took advantage of this beautiful venue that cost like tens of thousands of dollars that I did not have to put up. <laughs> and that was spearheaded by a new venue called All Summer. And they offered me this space. And I was like, absolutely. So it was just, it was so good. I don't know if I'm even explaining it right. But if you think about like the best family cookout mm-hmm. you've ever been to, and like just the, the range of ages there, there was babies there, there were seniors there, my mama came through. My cousins were there. We had soul food. Uh, we had music. I actually DJed because that's just, again, that's just a thing that I decided to do. Like, I don't do enough. <laughs> I also decided I want to play. Um, and that came out of event curation, actually. I've always loved music. People who've known me for a while or been following my career know about Soul Bounce, which I formerly co-owned, like one of the most influential soul music platforms on the internet to this day. Soul Bounce is still amazing, mm-hmm. but I um, left it in the hands of Kimberly Hines, who was my partner in running Soul Bounce for a few years. And I, so I've always loved music, worked for Vibe Magazine, worked for BET for four years. So I'm like, here I am with all this music knowledge, grown up with music. My parents are music lovers. I know a good DJ, which is why I have an ear for my events and who I want to actually hire for my events. And when it came to like, I think I want to give this a try just because why not? Just let me see if, if it's too hard or it seems too time consuming or if it's not the right fit, I won't do it. So I, I started DJing in January and I'm still doing it. I actually got some really exciting gigs coming up, Maurice. So this is just, it's so different. It's so different than when we last talked, but I'm really, I'm really grateful in all of the ways in which moving to this city has provided me opportunity to explore myself as a creative and as an as an artist-minded person in general. Because I wouldn't, if I was still in New York, and I love, I love me some New York. Mm, God, I miss it <laughs> so much. So, so much. But 
I know for a fact if I remained there or even if I moved to Pittsburgh and originally got like a tech job, which is what I thought I would do, I would not have discovered all of these new layers to myself. So I'm really grateful for some of the, at the time, misfortune that has turned out to be like a huge blessing. Yeah, it sounds like there's something in the in the whole event curation process that allows you to pull together all the different skills that you have, whether it's design or music or, you know, even just having like a certain eye for something. It feels like event curation helps you pull all of that together. It it takes the the intangible and turns it into something that's memorable that people will never forget. That's a perfect way of phrasing it, actually. That is absolutely perfect, Maurice. And it was something I was thinking about before uh, we, we started talking a little earlier when I was like, oh, crap, I have to do a podcast today. Let me get my <laughs> notes together. Again, just scatterbrained as heck and totally forgot. But I was thinking that like I may have finally found the thing. Hmm. Like this is the thing because I can do a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. It's almost obnoxious when I start talking about what I do with people because they're like, okay, well, what can you not do? That might be a shorter list. Like, damn, girl, I just asked you what you did <laughs> out of courtesy. <laughs> it's like half an hour later and you're still talking about what you do. But yeah, it pulls together a lot of aspects of creative direction. But that's every project I have. Even American Woman, I made the logo, of course. I designed the website. I have a whole style guide around American Woman, even the way it's edited is very specific to my aesthetic. And then my new series, Worship a Queer God, has a completely new aesthetic to it that I'm building. And I recognize that as a huge asset because when you put out like a really dope series of promotional visuals for an event or anything for your project, for your event, baby shower, your wedding, anything like that is that is the first thing that people can sort of gauge the tone. So when people see what I've created visually around my event, they already know, oh, this is about to be some good shit right here. This is about to be well done. The attention to detail is going to be there. And I'm very grateful to have those skills because there's a lot of people who don't. And then they have to spend a lot of money hiring people like me. So I consider that like a great advantage. But yeah, the event thing, honestly, it's fascinating. And I don't consider it really a departure from what I've always done. It's just getting closer to my dream of using my skills as a designer and creative director and being able to apply them to my own thing. And I still do love my clients. I, I just do because they, they, give me a lot of money in that. And I also consider it a responsibility to be heading the visual and marketing and communications process for other people's dreams too. That is an obligation that I take very seriously when I, when I work for my clients. But I think my dream of just being able to do what I want for the purpose of legacy building Mm -hmm. and having something that I can actually pass on to my kids should they want to take up the mantle of what I'm doing. It's really important to me as I, as I get older. So keeping up all 40 and everything. (laughs) It's good. It's good. It's a good, good thing. It causes me to become overwhelmed in a way I wasn't before because now I am responsible for people's good time Mm -hmm. (laughs) on top of everything else. But 
yeah, it's definitely the bridge I was looking for. My ultimate dream is actually to own my own venue, if not a series of venues that will also be able me to bring in my sort of last gift and skill that I haven't been able to apply. And that is performance. I have degree in theater arts from Howard University. I actually went to college with Chadwick Boseman. That's like the homie from HU. I went to college with Susan Watson, who plays best on This Is Us. Like that's literally the homegirl. And so when I see like my former classmates finding success in in performance and acting, that is something like I desperately miss. And although I find that I have my own artistic release in everything that I'm doing now, owning like an actual performance venue is is the is the final realization. And I think everything I've been doing, it feels like it's so random. But I've started really in this year, in 2019, I've started to see all of these things start to gel together. Mm. Like, okay, this, this finally makes sense so thank you for for seeing that too because that's extremely affirming i mean it certainly feels like you're moving closer to god there's there's this um there's this there's uh it's a michelle and Deggio cello i think it's an album or a song uh where something about becoming closer to the 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 woman she wants to be or something to that effect i might be getting it completely wrong but as you're describing all these things that you're doing with event curation, how it brings in these other skills that you have, it does feel like you're moving closer to what's, you know, the pinnacle of what your creative expression is. I definitely hope so. From your lips to the universe, because I have hid behind a computer too much of my life. Now, a lot of that was necessity and a lot of that is still doing really cool things. Like I designed um, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker, which is my cousin Damon Young's bestseller published through HarperCollins. I got the opportunity to design that book jacket. And so I see my work when I pass Barnes & Noble every day. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's amazing. Like, that's super dope. That's super dope. I know there's so many other creatives who work for Google, work for Facebook, Slack. They work for these huge tech companies, so they get to see their work on TV. You know, they're they're part of agencies and they're doing commercial work. So it is not rare for someone with my same title as creative director to see their work in that aspect. But I haven't worked for any of those big tech companies. Like, I don't know if Viacom counts. That's a big ass company, but not necessarily in the same way. Mm-hmm. Like, I have seen my work in that way. But, you know, it's just like, okay, no, this is the work I did under my creative agency, this is Supreme clientele work on the big stage. And that is extremely affirming. So I'm always going to do that. I know I'm always going to do stuff for my, my friends and family and people I really believe in. But yeah, the ultimate realization is to gradually keep moving away from working on other people's dreams and making sure that I can actualize what I want for myself too. And yeah, it's it's a new realization. Even if, as I'm saying these words right now, I can feel things coming together. Like I see my life sometimes as like a nebula, like this <laughs> nebula. And I swear I'm not high right now, but all of these twinkling stars in the sky. And I'm like, how do I pull all of this together into the sun for myself? Mm. And at this point, in Pittsburgh, who would have thought? Who would have thought? 
<laughs> that is is allowing me to do that. And that's not only taking away some of the things I just sort of fell back on in New York, taking away the comfort zone. Uh, I was forced to meet new people and meet some brilliant people forced to recognize. And I've talked about this, wrote about it, spoke about it many times in the past five years since I got here, how I just could have never imagined, never imagined that my New York ass was going to fall in love with a city like Pittsburgh. Again, my family is from here, so I always was familiar with it in some ways, but the Black creativity that exists in this city is absolutely phenomenal. And I'm really grateful that, that, I, that I've been able to branch out in these ways that I have. That is just so awesome to hear. I mean, when I think back on our last conversation and just juxtaposing that to now, it certainly feels like you're, you're moving closer in what that, that right direction is. How does it, I mean, just based on what you said so far, like, how does it feel having like switched gears in this way? Like you worked in tech and design for so long and now you're in kind of a, it's a difference, almost like an art space almost with this event curation and photography and DJing and everything like that. What has that shift been like in terms of, I mean, well, I guess one in terms of creativity, but two in terms of just like your sense of self, how does it feel to, to shift in that way? I think that I've been thinking a lot about not because I think a lot about self, actually, because the not even the vast majority, all of my work in some way comes back to who, how I feel about myself and what things I'm discovering about myself and who that attracts in terms of people and projects, too, but mainly people like who who I'm becoming actually attracts in terms of the people that I've met recently. And that's like actually inspired my Worship of Queer God series, which I'll talk to you a little bit more about. But it feels like a little scary, I think, because I've definitely tried to do stuff that I'm like, well, that did not work (laughs) at all. Like my last Diaspora 2 Dope event was in June of last year. It was fun for who came, but it was in terms of how I gauge success, it was unsuccessful. It was ended up getting rained out. We had to end it early. It didn't attract as many people as I hoped because it was actually on the Sunday of uh, Pride weekend and people were tired. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like, okay, these were maybe some unwise decisions. I'm going to do this party again. I'm going to do it again. So to be able to do it again on July 4th of this year and to see this vision just come to fruition. Like I almost cried actually, because I felt proud. Yeah, I felt proud of myself. And I felt proud of what I have been able to organically, honestly, and in a space of vulnerability manifest for not only myself, but everyone who's working with me. My dreams never, I like I never see myself on the pedestal or the throne. It's always like a community of people who I want to take with me. So in terms of like the work I'm doing is like giving some kind of life and validity to my community. And I consider my community to be like black women and and queer people specifically. It's, it's really dope (laughs) and it, it feels really good. And, and the money is not like, super like raining down on my ass or anything right now Mm -hmm. it's 
probably making less money than I would make if I just went and got a job at like Duolingo or something, <laughs> which I thought about, not going to lie. But I am very fortunate to be in a space where I can center this dream of mine, this this sort of direction and, and function of, of who I'm becoming as a person and, and kind of what I've always wanted and been afraid to even say it out loud. Like, I want to own a venue one day. I don't think I've said that out loud at all until like the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And it's something I've always wanted. Always. Like, there's there's people I've like texted, like, oh, I have this little idea. But it's now like something I'm speaking out loud with, with purpose. And things are just falling into place. And I think it's because, not only because I think I'm a pretty dope person, <laughs> but more so just like when you live like a life that is a reflection of of who you are inside and where you really want to go. It may not happen right away, but eventually you'll find your tribe, you'll find your community, you'll find that like-minded people who have something else to add will add to it. And you can just build like a Voltron and kind of realize things that you didn't really think you could. And it's incredible to be able to do that. And it's especially incredible, I guess, in a societal climate and a political climate, which is so oppressive. Mm -hmm. And I don't function throughout my day feeling oppressed because I just like refuse to. But it's really like a crazy time for us as Black folk right now, for us as queer folk. Uh, for us as women, it's it's just like a lot. <laughs> and so I'm starting to focus, I guess, more on self and community and what we can manifest instead of trying to, instead of getting overwhelmed, I guess, by the big picture and like all of the things that can function as roadblocks and all the people who tell you no and all the people who tell you can't do it or haters. I don't know. Yeah, I don't feel like I have haters, but I probably have a couple and it's just not something that I'm focusing on for the first time in my life, not focusing on the hard things or the adversity, which again is, is still a function of, uh, you know, being fortunate. I understand that there's just some people who can't really function in that way right now, but I'm really grateful and appreciative that I can. And talking about this is really helpful too, Maurice. Like I, I think I've told you every episode I've done a revision task so far, like you actually offering this, I call it a space. It's not a physical space, but you know what I mean? Offering the space to us as Black creatives to not only talk about our work, but talk about our dreams and talk about what makes us nervous and talk about things that were hard and how we overcome or maybe talk about stuff we didn't overcome. It's important to not only showing people that we out here, like us as Black designers, web developers, graphic designers, programmers, we are not only out here, like you have proved that we're out here, but you also this podcast and these spaces give us an opportunity to be like our true selves and not have to function as a monolith or not have to always function as like the epitome and the peak of like black excellence. Cause some of this stuff is hard, yeah, hard. And the youngins who come up and hit me up all the time, like I want to do what you do. And now there's like youngins who want to, I, I want to do what you do. I'm like, Oh, which one? Oh, events. I'm like, oh, I am like, oh, <laughs> the baby for now. Oh my God. Like, that's just cool. And I want them to know, like, yo, I'm not going to give you no BS story. All right. I'm not like a trust fund baby. I couldn't like hit up my parents in the Hamptons for like a six 
six-figure loan to start anything I'm doing, but I'm still doing it, but it's hard. And this is where I effed up. And this is what I want you to not do like that. All of that is just uh, a manifestation as well. So thank you for giving me the space to talk about this. Cause as I'm literally talking about it, I'm realizing certain things that are going right in my life. And that's, 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 that's important for real. Thank you, Maurice. Well, thank you. I mean, I think it's important, you know, with, with revision bad one, one thing that you said also was about like, to show that it's not about black excellence, which is something that I've been very deliberate about, I think, since starting this, because, well, there's two things you said. One was that. And then the second thing was about like not focusing on the adversity. Sometimes what can end up happening in, and, and I hate to say this, but like sometimes it can happen in black spaces where the focus is so much on the adversity that it's like a it's like a range you're either very focused on the adversity or you're very focused on like this pie in the sky ideal of what it is Mm -hmm. to be black or a black creative in that way and like there's a lot of room in between for everyone else than to only focus on the lows or focus on like the astronomical highs and so even with the people that i try to have on the show like i want folks at all all different levels like it, it always pains me when i reach out to someone and they tell me that they're not ready to be on the show yet. They'll say, oh, I'm not. They're like, oh, I'm not yeah. ready yet. I'm not at that point in my career yet to be on the show. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Like, I want to talk to you exactly where you're at in your career right now. Like, that's why I reached out to you. It's yeah. not about a status symbol or being a status symbol. But if that's what the case is for them, that's, you know, that's everyone has their own thing. I, I get that. But I try to talk to folks just where they're at, where whether that's in-house somewhere in like the middle of America or if they are like at the top of their field in London or something like that. I try to talk to people that are everywhere doing all kinds of things to show that what it is to be a black designer is such a, a rich and varied experience. I mean, we know that there's no one way to be a designer, to be a creative in this industry, but also more so than that, there's no one way of what I guess there's no one definition of what success would look like, you know? I mean, for some people it's yeah. for some people it is getting the job at the big tech company and then for other folks it's just being in their own creative space to make and do exactly what it is that they want to do. Um there's this one woman who I interviewed a few months back. Um I saw her on a reality show actually. There's this reality show on YouTube called Oh man, now I'm blanking on the name, but it's a, it's a reality show on YouTube TV about, uh, sneaker designers. I think it's called the next great sneaker designer or something like that. Mm. I saw it was a black woman. Her name was Annalise and she was one of, I think, two or three black women on the show. And, you know, the way that they structured it was nobody really got eliminated. You just, you made it through to the end. You just got feedback. And then they were doing the sneaker designs. Uh, with Dwayne Edwards Pencil Academy in Portland. And Dwayne Edwards is a black guy who designed for a number of years for Nike, the Jordan brand, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I had her on the show to kind of talk about, well, what happened since the show? Because I thought, oh, well, maybe she's still like designing sneakers and stuff. And she's mostly gotten out of that and is kind of doing something similar to what you're doing in terms of like making these spaces for creatives to kind of thrive and have their own way in Portland of all places, you know, like to be able to kind of make that happen. So success looks different for different people. And I think it's important, at least here on this show, to show that it's not just about being 
a designer at Facebook or a designer at Twitter or wherever. It could be whatever you want it to be. You know, hopefully people see all kinds of different avenues and opportunities for being a designer, for applying their creativity through the folks that have been on the show. Yeah. And you're like legit doing a great job of that because I was episode 100 and 200. <laughs> like that's cool. And I'm not, I don't, I have never been like the big tech company person. Like people know me just a function of me being around so long. Like I am for many people, like Honey was the first black girl I ever saw on the internet. Like so many people have said that. And when people say that around younger people, they're like, how old are you? I'm like, the internet is not that old. <laughs> I'm like 50 or whatever. Like they're like, dang, I, that's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, this we're still kind of new in this, in this field. And what like just the internet and digital access has really provided us in terms of all of the multitude of new titles and new jobs that have been born really in the last like 15 years is like insane. And I think some of that, that like expectation to be this kind of creative or have this specific kind of success, Mm -hmm. it's born in some ways out of social media. I mean, it's always existed. It's existed far beyond, uh, you know, before social media became like a, a thing, but I think about like when I was talking before about just like that space of honesty and when you reiterated like that is what we need to talk about in these spaces. I think about the the saying that like social media is your highlight reel. Mm-hmm. And indeed, I don't use social media as much anymore to vent about certain things. Um, I mean, not personal things, I guess. I'm still, I'm like definitely venting about like, America (laughs) (laughs) and and just like all the trappings that come with living in a society ran by a literal madman but I try I do try to I'm not even going to say I try to keep it positive but I do try to keep my social media now about the work Mm -hmm. and about the people that I'm working with and how that is an extension of me but I do feel like that can give people not the wrong idea, but not a completely correct idea of what we as creatives are really, really going through and what it actually takes to realize some of this stuff. It's a reason that I I really want to get back to writing, but writing more about the work, mm-hmm. because I do realize like just having so many years in the game in the way that I do, I have like a lot of stuff I want to impart. And yeah, I don't think... I'm ever going to work for like the big creative agency because I have my own agency and I will, and it will always function as a place where people don't have to have $20,000 minimum to even speak to me mm-hmm. about working on their project. But it also will always function as the funnel through my own work. Like Supreme clientele design agency will always be the funnel in which I execute things, marketing, PR, communications, consulting, design work, development, video editing, motion graphics, like all of those things that I need to propel, you know, my, my own work will always live through Supreme clientele. But I think for people who do get the really big, exciting tech jobs, which I do not knock because that mess can be very exciting. Like I did interview with Google a couple of years ago, got all the way 
to the in-person interview and it was exciting. It was exciting to look around and be like, this is like the heck of big time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is like where you want to be if you're in my line of work. And I didn't end up getting it. And I was, I was pretty sad about it, but, and it, it didn't turn me off of the tech industry because everything I do is still kind of involved because I do have like a design company that I consider like to, to have its foot in, in tech as well because I'm doing so much development work and always will because I actually really like to code. I want to build my own thing. And if that means getting like the, if I was going to work for a tech company again, it would just have to encompass a lot of the morals and ideals that I'm intensely passionate about and probably not be a huge tech company either because I don't think of myself as a cog in the wheel mm-hmm. sort of person. I don't function that way in life and I don't function that way at work either. So who who, who really knows where I'm going to go as far as whether I'm going to pursue that. But I, I do understand more now, like I don't have to. And that is not a way, the only way to legitimize myself as a creative, as a artist, as a tech industry vet. Like I don't have to be validated by that anymore. That could be a choice Mm -hmm. that I make instead of a choice I make out of like really truly wanting to and aligning with the ideals of the company and and opposition to doing that out of validation. So that's that's a really important like realization that I want everybody to get to as well. Like why? <laughs> why do you want to work for these companies? And what is your exit plan? What are you going to be working on for yourself? And it doesn't even mean everybody has to own their own business. Everybody should not. <laughs> it is not for everybody and it has nothing to do with skill, talent or perseverance. Everybody, but it's just, it's not for everybody to strike out in that way. It's not doable and it's not attractive for everyone. But I always think that you should always have your personal things, always have your personal passions, always have your personal projects that you can apply your skills to as well, because our skills are not for other people only. Our skills should always like be in service of ourselves as well. So I hope that people get that out of not only my, you know, out of what I say and and on a revision path and beyond, but just out of all of the interviews that you did, because I think there's just a sprinkle of that in at least every person you've talked to, like the importance of passions and doing what you want and having the room to create, because that's really what tech is at the end of the day. Like technology in general is just like this vastness of possibility. And it ties very closely to Afrofuturism, which is, you know, a concept, a style, um, a mind state, um, an artistic genre. Like it's Afrofuturism is a lot, but I consider a lot of my work and a lot of my future work to be Afrofuturistic, not necessarily visually. Like we don't all have to be like, depicting ourselves in in the stars or in space, although that is super dope too, because there are black people in the future. Word to Alicia Wormsley, one of my favorite people here in Pittsburgh. But just the freedom to be what we want to be and the, the limitlessness that we can have as as black people and black creators in general is Afrofuturistic conceptually to me as well. So yeah, I mean, damn, we getting mad deep up in here. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, this is great. No, I was uh, one thing that I definitely wanted to touch on because you've mentioned a few times already is this worship a queer God photo and documentary series. I want to hear more about that. Yes, yes, yes. That is my um, my new ongoing portrait documentary series. Uh, worship a queer God explores gender nonconformity and androgyny in queer individuals. And that is specifically evidenced by their own words, their preferred pronouns, their personal style and aesthetic, and how they have created their own safe spaces or found safe spaces and found like altars of their own body. And by altars, I mean, not only just like in the religious context, but how is your body, which is so politicized when you're non-binary or trans or even androgynous in presentation how um how do you how have you fully realized or what is your journey to fully realizing yourself as as a higher being who deserves like this reverence respect humanity and yes even worship and that sounds super deep i try to bring my language back down to earth when i apply for grants because artists like the way artists the way we talk about our work is like hilarious (laughs) But when you're applying for a grant, it's like, okay, that's cool. That sounds really important. And I'm glad you're passionate about this. How, so what are you going to do though? How are, what are you going to do? How are you going to pay for it? What's your timeline? Like always like that. I think that's why I still keep coming back to like the grant proposal process because it like brings me down to earth. But basically, you know, we as um, a society, we still have a very narrow idea of gender binaries and some of that extends into our community as queer people as well, namely with how fiercely we cling to our labels and demand labels of others. Like with women, sometimes it's like, are you a a stutter or are you a femme? With men, it can be, or men identified people, are you a top or a bottom? Like there's a lot of labels that exist in the queer community in general, but our evolution as queer people includes this increased and off-stated recognition of how limiting those labels are to some of us and how so much of it ends up being a costume of expectations. So I wanted to explore that through my portrait and documentary, you know, just focus. Cause I just, I really love capturing people. I, although I love to draw and paint, it always kind of comes down, down, down to portraiture and actually being a documentarian and, his, and a historian of people is really what, where my mind goes to constantly, constantly. And maybe why I was an actor as well, because I'm just so into like exploring, you know, other people and other people's stories. But um, it is based here in Pittsburgh. It will eventually include portraits of probably 20 um, individuals, again, who identify as androgynous, non-binary and or transgender And I will also be interviewing them on video. And it's a way to grant people a platform to share their stories, same as American Woman. But with this one, it specifically details around gender, their journey, their gender-based journey, how they use aesthetic to express themselves, and how they navigate the world seeking or defying acceptance and understanding. Many queer people, especially trans and non-binary queer people, have been ostracized by their families and communities. And for many of them, simply, like, think about this, simply dressing in a way that ultimately fits how they feel inside is a revolutionary act. 
And I just think we have like a lot more work to do around people like truly like grasping and understanding the concept that gender can be very limiting. And really, and if we talk, talk about like Afrofuturism specifically, how gender should like really not matter at some point <laughs> in life. Like I think it'll always matter in some ways biologically, but beyond that, it's just kind of boring to keep like looking at everything with like these strict, like you're a dude and you should dress like this and you should look like this and act like this and play with these toys when you're a kid and and do this when you're a man and you're a woman and you should be like this and and do this and look pretty and wear heels and and conduct yourself like this and not be a sexual sexually autonomous person like it's boring (laughs) (laughs) limitations are like so boring to me and the people that I have met, that I know, that I have known, but also that I've met um, recently by, you know, working more specifically with the queer community here, which I've all, I mean, I've always been queer, but I've been more focused on working in the queer community since I got here, which is awesome. I think that's just because it has to be more intentional. New York, like, at, like I never had to work to find a queer community in New York. Never. It was like, Never even a thought that had to enter my mind, but here it it was like a, a more intentional thing that I had to do to actually find my queer community here. But I'm really excited about that one. I I actually started it in December 2018, but it's been I've just been doing it like when I have time. Like I've approached people who are already like nobody thus far has been anybody that I didn't know already and didn't already have like a really good. Uh, relationship with but now I've kind of expanded conceptually what I wanted to do with it because I always have to make things harder (laughs) (laughs) but these people they're just so cool they're so free and I think that in when we talked about like how my manifestation of self and how that like informs my work that is still a part of it like yes like I don't like limitations and I don't like rules that impose things on people that make them feel like they're not really being themselves so it sounds like it's like super serious and in some ways it is in some ways this is like a serious conversation but the art that we're creating together right now it's not like sad or woe is me just like American woman it's it's vibrant Mm -hmm. and beautiful and raw and honest and real. And I'm really excited to keep going with it. I haven't really super put it out. I've trickled some things on Instagram and Facebook and I do have it on my uh, photography portfolio. Oh, that's another thing I have (laughs) now. Yay. I not only have uh, supremeclientele.co, which is, of course, my design agency, but my portfolio for my photography and portraiture work is shooter.honeyyoung.com. And so I finally have a way to kind of encapsulate and show people like what I do as a photographer specifically. So I do have some Worship of Queer God stuff on there. Of course, I have American Woman on there. But that project is still, I would say, in its infancy. But I, I am cool to talk about it because it's it's now is the time that I'm probably going to be focusing more on it. So I said at the beginning that I wasn't going to be long winded today, but I got to be me. I just like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know like a I don't know how to be like employ more brevity when I talk about things I'm passionate about. So 
that's in a nutshell what Worship a Queer God is going to be. Again, still in the beginning stages of that one, but that's like my next big, big personal project is that one. Well, honey, just to, you know, wrap things up here. I know we've been talking for a while now and, and you just mentioned your your photography portfolio, but where else can people find uh, your work online so we can follow your creative journey? Oh, yeah. So supremeclientele.co, of course, that's uh, my design agency that has, you know, my client-based professional work, like the book cover or the book jacket design, excuse me, case studies about how I approach work for, I, I was actually the director of marketing and communications at a company called Pittsburgh Filmmaker Center for the Arts uh, for a, a while. Uh, they're a arts organization here in Pittsburgh. So all of my work from that time is on there, uh, as well as all of my old projects. But shooter.honeyyoung.com is my photography portfolio. Not only uh, my photography I've done for other people, event photography, things that I've shot for galleries and museums out here. But it also has uh, American Woman and Worship a Queer God on there. I am on Instagram at HoneyRocks, H-U-N-Y-R-O-C-K-S. Instagram is fun to me now because I used to maybe post like once a week or once every two weeks. Like I told, I used to forget Instagram existed, <laughs> but my beautiful, awesome, dope friend, Tarana Burke, who I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, she posted a whole bunch of photos I took of her for American Woman that had not been posted yet. And I got like 2,000 followers <laughs> in like two days on Instagram. So I'm like, oh, nice. Just like be more frequent with Instagram. Let me pay attention to Instagram a little more. Like the American Woman account probably got like 2,500 new followers through that. So I'm like so grateful to Serana for putting my work at the forefront. Like that's the way I want to be found. I don't want to be found from like shade room because <laughs> I got caught up doing something embarrassing. I, I love that so many new people have discovered me and my work because of Serana. So yeah, Honey Rocks on Instagram. You can also follow my event series on Instagram, that is darkness is spreading, all one word. American Woman is American Woman Project on Instagram. And yeah, I'm on Facebook too. Do not add me as a friend, please. <laughs> I have so many requests on Facebook, I cannot. But if you want to follow my public post on Facebook, that would be dope too. That's your platform of choice. Uh, you just search for Sarah Honey Young on there. I am, I have a Twitter account. <laughs> But I don't use Twitter that much anymore. I might check it like once a week. But my Twitter handle is Honey, H-U-N-Y. If you search Honey, if you put H-U-N-Y in Google, you will find me. I am, so I don't think I'm the only H-U-N-Y Honey in the world, but I'm the most popping. So <laughs> if, you don't, if you didn't hear any of that or write it down, just put H-U-N-Y into Google and you'll probably find me. All right. Sounds good. Well, Sarah Honey Young, I mean, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. And I have to say, just you now being the the only person to have done a three-peat on Revision Path, yes. it's, it's just been amazing to continue to see how your creativity has evolved over the years. And I mean, I just, I'm just interested in seeing what's next, because I feel like this event curation is going to open up a whole new world of opportunities for you. So I'm really excited that it's that you get you're getting your foothold in Pittsburgh, but I see this spreading like worldwide. So I'm just glad. I, no, I see it. I do. I mean, because 
being able to to curate experiences and things like this is something that and I, I'm just honestly just basing this off of the live event that we did back in New York uh, a few weeks ago. It's a lot like it takes a lot to pull everything together. And you just hope that when the door is open, that it's going to be good from start to finish. And like it takes so much work um, to make sure that that happens. And so for you to be able to really bring all of your creativity into that and make safe, affirming spaces for so many people. I mean, that speaks not only just to your skill as a designer, but also just like your empathy as like a human being, you know? So that's something that a lot of people are looking for. So I, I see it. I definitely see it happening. So I'm just glad to be able to, to be the chronicler <laughs> in a way of all this as it happens. And, and to, uh, to let our audience kind of follow you on your journey as you uh, continue to evolve. So thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you, Maureen. You, you are, uh, I mean, I've known you for like ever. We've known each other forever, but you are just so, mm, like so encouraging. I just want to like hug you right now. You're so encouraging always. You do amazing work yourself. I thank you for letting me be the only person to be on this podcast three times. Like that means a hell of a lot to me because you <laughs> have some incredible people on revision talk but i am deeply honored by that i consider it a distinction worthy of bragging about i am definitely glad that you approached me to do this again while i was in such a such a good space with what i'm doing because i gotta tell you over the past couple of years it's been that i've had some i've had some downs i've had some downs i'm still financially like trying to figure things out right now but i i'm in a good space and i and i'm glad to be able to to have this moment in my life chronicled as well um and i do if i may i just want to give a few shout outs to some people who i'm working with in pittsburgh because sure. I, I really love them and and part of meeting them and working with them is why i've been able to get to this this new space in just the art world in general and event curation and having like a, a more solidified focus on what I want to do. So those organizations are True Tea Pittsburgh, Sisters Pittsburgh, Poncho in the Hot Mask Family, Allies Pittsburgh, and Girl Effects. Those, I'm about to cry. I'm getting so emotional right now because those organizations and the people that work in those organizations and who have extended opportunities to me just because they appreciate what I'm doing and they see my vision. It's incredible. I would not be so looking forward to the next steps in my life without having the advocacy of other people here in Pittsburgh. And I got a shout out like Boom Concepts as well. Just a really incredible organization and uh, art space here in Pittsburgh. Thank you to Manchester Craftsman's Guild for Mounting American Woman. Thank you to Ace Hotel for continuing to provide me this event residency. Thank you to All Summer, the new people I'm work with, working with who have extended an opportunity for me to create like these beautiful like block party events. Like, ah, Pittsburgh, you, you dope as hell. <laughs> like, thank you. All my friends out here in New York, you also the greatest. And I hope that next I can find a way to bridge my communities between New York and Pittsburgh. So maybe that's what I'll talk about on my fourth episode <laughs> a couple of years from now. Thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Sarah Honey Young and thanks to you for listening. 
You can find out more about Honey and her work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash revision path. Revision Path is a Glitch Media Network podcast and is produced by Deanna Testa and edited by Brittany Brown. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. We're also powered by Simplecast, which is the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Make sure you check the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. And if you like this episode, then let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It takes about a minute or so to do, and it really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere. You can also find us on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.